uh, help the one who preaches to, uh, in humility, cry out throughout the whole preaching process that you would take your word and make it powerful, for he cannot do it. Father, uh, forgive us for taking your word lightly and help us to uh, respond with delight as we hear the good news from uh, the book of Acts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, Uh, Acts chapter 3, we're moving along in this history book of the New Testament. Uh, Peter and John out in front of the temple, a beggar, he'd been there for many decades. He was sort of a fixture in the community. Everyone was probably aware of him. He hung out at the temple in order to, uh, that's where people hung out, that's where people were, were gathering. So he was uh, trying to collect money as he was not able to, uh, to earn a living. So a miracle is, uh, is performed. The apostles could do this. And, uh, and then the excitement uh, starts, uh, starts happening around the temple. Peter, uh, people are amazed, and Peter takes uh, a second opportunity to, to, preach, to preach the gospel. Uh, this is the time for summer previews. I don't know if you noticed that. The trailers are, are out. They're trying to get your attention. Um, trailers. I, I did a little research on trailers, and I found out that there's actually full-time people who make these little mini-movies that are two minutes and 30 seconds long. Uh, a trailer is a, uh, actually a, quite a process to how do you put together a two-hour-and-a-half movie into two-and-a-half minutes, right? That's quite a challenge. How do you make it intriguing enough? How do you share enough of the plot without ruining everything, right? And uh, if it's a comedy, then you want to give some of the best laugh lines. Or if it's a drama, you want to get people hooked into the, right? So a trailer is a preview of what's coming, right? And so now there's a lot of pressure on trailers because the trailer has to convince us to go pay 15 bucks a ticket and 18 bucks for a box of popcorn and uh, to lay down about 100 bucks for a family to go see a movie. So there's a lot of pressure on these little, little tiny mini movies. Now, what we have in the book of Acts and what we have through the ministry of Jesus is we have a kind of trailer. It's a kind of preview. It is a preview of what's coming. And what is coming is awesome. What is coming is completely transformational for for this earth, for the heavens. A new heaven, a new earth are coming. And so what we have here in this passage is a preview of what it's like to encounter Jesus and what it will be like when Jesus finally comes in, in bringing the kingdom of glory. And so these are short little samples of what it's like to have Jesus as king. In the ministry of Jesus, he taught And in his teachings, he is communicating that our minds need to be restored. In the ministry of Jesus, he healed people. And in that ministry, he communicated that our bodies need to be restored. 
And so what you have in the life of Jesus is you have a preview of what it's like to be restored. So this is, and let me introduce a concept here for you, because this will help us understand the concept of a preview. Okay? Uh, there, I don't know if they're around anymore, because I think online retailers have sort of uh, been a hardship for them, but are there Christian bookstores around anymore? Okay, Kathy says, yeah, okay, all right. So I have, tell me where they are, I can't find them. So I, uh, Christian bookstores typically have sections in the bookstore so you can, you know, commentaries on the Bible, Bible studies, and right? And then you have an area that is full of all kinds of books that seem kind of scary. Eschatology. Everybody, raise your hand. You kind of, eschatology, ever found that section in the bookstore? Okay, all right. So um, in case of rapture, the bumper sticker, this car will be unmanned or something, you know, that kind of stuff, right? So... Um, so eschatology is the subject of last things. So judgment day, the resurrection of our bodies, what will happen at the end of time, essentially, that, the idea, or the, the last things in, in the schedule of events. Does that make sense? Now, what happens in our Bibles, for us to grasp uh, Acts chapter 3, Peter healing the man, the, the, the lame man, what's happening here is is it's introducing us to a subject called eschatology. And this is how it works. For we who believe in Jesus, something remarkable has happened. The Bible teaches that there is a judgment day at the end of this world. That is a future event. In Jesus, what is future, we who believe, what is future has already intersected into our lives. So one of the last things is already your experience. Already, if you are a believer in Jesus, your sins have been forgiven And this is the beautiful good news of the gospel where what will be declared at the end of the age, you can know now. Now, folks, that's sort of leaping joyful kind of, that's like, you know, is there an amen out there? Thank you. Thank you. So revival's breaking out, I'm telling you. So what what I'm saying is, is that that is the kind of stuff In the time of Jesus, the Pharisees believed that, yes, you could have your sins forgiven, but no one could ever know for sure. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you a few things. That's why I'm here. And there's this remarkable moment in Mark chapter 2. It doesn't take very long in Mark's gospel for Jesus to announce the kingdom, the arrival of the end now. The kingdom is proclaimed in Jesus. He heals a man who cannot walk. Mark chapter 2. The house is all packed with people. There's no more room. The man and his friends can't enter the room. And so they're lowered down. he lowers him down from where? 
up in the roof, right? Okay, so this dramatic moment, I mean, can't be more dramatic. The man is being lowered down, and he is in front of everyone, and the front row is full of Pharisees. And they're saying in their hearts, this man better not heal on the Sabbath. I mean, that's the most important thing. Don't do any work. I mean, just think of how just where that's coming from. So they're watching him, Jesus knowing their hearts. This is, it's kind of uncomfortable to hang around Jesus, by the way. He knows what you're thinking. So Jesus takes this moment and says, what is easier to say? Just say mere words. Your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk. What's easier to say? Well, if you can just say your sins are forgiven, I guess, but that doesn't mean anything. So Jesus puts the two together and says, how about this? When you see this man stand up and walk, I want you to know two things. Not only do I have the authority and ability to do that, but I have the authority and ability to forgive what? Sins. Outrageous. You can't do that. You can do lots of things. You can be pious. You can do nice little sayings on the mountain. You can do lots of things. But the one thing you can't do is you cannot presume upon Judgment Day. No one can do that. Making yourself out to be God. Is everybody following? So Jesus, who loved dramatic moments in order to amplify who he was, he commands the man to stand up and walk. And what is that a sign of? That's a sign that he can forgive sins. He can declare now what the future will reveal. Well, Peter comes along, and John come along, and in the same compassion, the same concern, the same love, the same Mark II experience happens here out in front of the temple, a man who has been there for years, who has uh, a condition that does not allow him to, for his legs to function, and the man, all he's asking for is some, some, some coins, and Peter says, he redirects his hope and says, I, I don't have those things. I'm going to give you something better. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand and, and walk. And so this is, again, a preview of what it will be like when Jesus is restoring the heavens and the earth. This miracle is setting up the proclamation of forgiveness of sins. Okay? And so what's remarkable about this passage is that we have a, a, a healing and a, a miracle that now draws everyone to, to wonder how did this happen and Peter immediately draws everyone's attention away from himself and says that the name of Jesus the risen, ascended king is the name through which this man has been healed. And the book of Acts is the unfolding of the power of the name of Jesus to bring redemption to people's lives. 
Sometimes it looks like under the apostles' ability and, and, and uh, giftedness, sometimes it looks like healings. But most of the time, it is in the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins. It is an eschatological proclamation that that which is threatening you in the end of the world, the judgment of God, through Jesus you can be protected from that day, you can be saved from that day, you can know now what the future will reveal. That's the unfolding of the book of Acts. And so we have Jewish audiences early in the book of Acts, and then later on we have Gentile audiences. And it's very interesting that this significant healing takes place around the temple courts. This is a sign and, and significant um, message that the temple is no longer the place where you will meet God. You will not find his power located there. You will find God through the new temple, which is the body of Jesus. And Jesus is now active through his spirit and providing his presence to his church. And in the apostolic age, he's providing miracles that attest to his new status in the world. So in the book of Acts, this is just a little preview here, the book of Acts is uh, demonstrating that the Jewish temple there, the, the, the temple in Jerusalem, is now has now been replaced, it's no longer functional. And we move from that Jerusalem, we move now to the temples of the Gentiles, and we will see some of those, and we will find that these also have no function, no ability to connect people with God. So all the temples of man fall short. So it's unique is that this healing takes place where the true power of God is demonstrated uh, in Jesus outside uh, of that of that temple. So uh, Peter is setting up preaching, of course, and as a preacher, I kind of like that. That's kind of nice. Uh, and uh, we're going to explore much more detail about uh, Peter's sermon uh, next week. But Peter is going to preach essentially this. What's happened to Jesus? What did you do? What did God do with Jesus? He, he caused him to, to be raised and ascended, and he is now seated in the right hand of the Father. And now, what is happening, right? What happened and what is happening, right? And I think this is a call to us as, as Christians. Uh, as you watch the book of Acts unfold, what it is, it's a framework by which we are to understand time and history. The framework by which we understand our time and history is often influenced by the calendar, which, for instance, at the end of this month is Memorial Day, right? And that launches the way, the framework by which we see the summertime, and in the middle of the summer we have July 4, and then we have Labor Day, right? We have all these. This is the calendar of, uh, of America, I guess, uh, and this frames our, our, our thinking, right? Uh, so Washington's birthday is, uh, that's the weekend you buy mattresses. Is that right? right? You got all those, the spat, right? That, we, we kind of figure out how to buy things according to the calendar and stuff. So in the Bible, in the Bible, we have a way of thinking about the calendar itself. 
And the question for you, and the question here in, in Acts 3, it really isn't asked directly, but it's asked indirectly, is what time is it? What time is it? And at what time is, is Peter, as, he, as this healing takes place, and then he begins to preach, what is, what is Peter saying? It's the time of the messianic kingdom. Why would you look at me as if I have the power to do this? Of course, it's the name of Jesus, the one who performed miracles on earth that you saw. This is the time of the resurrected Jesus. Think about that. Think about that when you think about your career. Think about your life. Think about how you understand your life. If you have encountered Jesus and entered into, professed your faith, been baptized, you are now associated with his church, his blood-bought church. See, the time in which we think about our lives is framed much differently than Memorial Day. See, much differently. It is, are we part of the age to come? Are we a part of the age to come as we live out our lives faithfully in this world? So this remarkable preview of what it's going to be like when Jesus completely restores this earth. And uh, we now see in this picture here of the, res- the restoration and what it will look like. It is a sample of the signs and wonders of what it's like to have the resurrection and Jesus as ascended king in our midst. We today, according to Acts 20, excuse me, excuse, according to Romans 8:23, we have the first fruits of the spirit and we are presently awaiting that day, the day of redemption, the redemption of our bodies. We groan inwardly, Romans 8:23 tells us, we groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. These here in Acts chapter 3 who rejoiced in this man being healed are identifying in some way of something that needs to happen in their lives as well. Some aspect of their relationships, some aspect of their family, some aspect of their life, their health. This is an exciting experience for these people because they realize the kinds of things Jesus can do and will do at the end of the age. It's a call for us to bear patiently with an age that is still uh, in process, a, a, a time that we are still waiting for, and we are to think carefully and uh, thoughtfully about what the Bible says about our identity in this fallen world. And let me suggest to you one idea. In Ephesians chapter 1, it actually says that we are so united to Jesus now that we are seated in the heavenly realms. We are so united to Jesus that our identity, our, we are so safe that we are now uh, residents of, of heaven itself. Our experience of worship is to be an, ex, an experience of what it's like to taste heaven and to be re, re-energized and re Um, recommitted to serving our great, great king. This is a time for us to experience the peace of God, which many people do not have. Through Jesus, we are justified 
and the first fruit of our justification, Romans 5, 1 says that we are to experience or have peace with God. So my, my point is this. The sample here that's provided for us in this healing of this man, the sample here is pointing to the, all the areas of our lives that need redemption. And as we think about these areas, we also must be thinking about, well, what has God given me in Jesus that I can give praise for? And God has given you such a secure identity, such, a, such an understanding of, of your place in, in salvation, that you are secure, you are his, and nothing in this world can separate you from that. You have been adopted, and you are now re- waiting for the redemption of your body. What have we been given as a church? Just as this man was given the presence of Jesus in healing power, so we are given the presence of Jesus in healing power as well. The presence of Jesus for us starts with the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins. And the whole of our identity, the whole of our being is now shaped around that. God provides for us the presence of his spirit through the Lord's Supper to strengthen us. God is mightily with his church. The ascended Jesus who performs this miracle is also with us now in this moment. It sometimes seems like we're just sort of plodding along in this world, and maybe you even feel, if you're you're feeling just a little bit older or you're not feeling quite as spry, maybe you feel that even death sort of Uh, stalks you. What I want you to be encouraged by is this, is that there is sort of an entropy to this world. It seems like it's sort of, there's sort of, everything sort of winds down and, and everything's sort of in a process of decay. But biblically speaking, we hear the news that God is committed to this creation and we hear the news that there's a reversal underway. That far from a world being left alone and sort of the process of decay underway, that God who has intervened in this world through his son is now working to bring about true transformation of this world. So we of all people should be the most hopeful. We of all people should take this example from Acts 3 and say, Lord, this is a signal to me, a signal of the kinds of things that you are going to do. Uh, Isaiah 35 describes the Messianic age as an age when the lame leap, the blind see, the deaf hear. And we see the the signals of this age uh, recorded for us in the Gospels and in Acts. And so, brothers and sisters, my, my exhortation to you is to think more richly, more thoroughly about what God has done for you that you might leap and you might be joyful as the exalted Jesus has connected you to him in such a way that you are permanently his. Now, toward the end of Peter's sermon, and I'll cover this uh, more next week, uh, we'll really get into that sermon, which I haven't touched at all. One of the things that you find out in the book of Acts is this. The proclamation that Jesus is the ascended king, for we who believe... Good news. Awesome. 
We're seated with him. We're united with him. Everything that happened to him is ours. We are secure. We have a, a, a future that is hopeful. We are connected to the ascended king. This is great news. But in apostolic preaching, you must tell these, the rest of the folks who do not believe, you have to tell them the truth. And the ascended king, what's happening here is this. Jesus has this new cosmic role in the universe. He is the king. But his being the king intensifies this moment. Do you remain unrepentant? Have you bowed the knee of your life to him? And Peter drives this home as well. Times of refreshing may come to you, but if you harden your heart, they will not. And what's remarkable, if we, this should sober us up a bit, what's remarkable is that we know that the Gospels record Jesus doing miracles, and they didn't change hearts. At at some times, they hardened hearts. And that the heart that does not want to believe, that refuses to believe, that even though they have profound evidence in front of them, this should cause us to cry out, Oh Lord, thank you, thank you for changing my heart that my heart has not been left hard, but that you and your mercy gave me a teachable heart and that I'm willing to receive these beautiful samples of your lordship. So the miracle that's happened to us is that God has changed our hearts of stone and he's made them a heart of flesh. Jeremiah 31. That the age to come the age of peace, the age of shalom, the age of joy, the age of leaping, the age of God's presence not being a threat, the age of God's presence being a joy, this age has come crashing into our hearts just like the healing power of Jesus for this lame man. So brothers and sisters, Jesus is going to meet you at the Lord's table and his presence is going to strengthen you, strengthen your in the language of Isaiah 35 and the language of Hebrews 12, it will strengthen your feeble hands and it will make your, your legs strong. God's presence, his presence in the res- resurrected Jesus does that for us. It's part of his restorative power in our midst. I hope this is your need this morning. It's my need. So let's pray. Father, this is a remarkable passage. We've only touched down on it for a moment that you have given us a preview of a spectacular real world to come. Father, I, I know that I'm speaking to those